There's power in storytelling. Now, we have to make sure we tell the story right, you know, because unlike fishing stories, you don't want to embellish your story. But you also want to be able to speak of the part of the story that is not so much about you, but that is more about him. Because his story is not only a story of redemption, but of salvation. Pastor Martin continues his sermon series in a message entitled, The Testimony of the Catch of Jesus. Follow along in your Bibles or your Bible app in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 16, and listen as Pastor Martin explains. And so today as we talk about the catch of Jesus, as you know, anyone that goes fishing, at some point there is a catch. Now, as I said last week, I have not done a lot of fishing lately because I really truly love catching, but I, I like fishing. And that, since I'm not catching, I don't do much fishing right now. And I also had an indictment on the fellowship of the brothers here that catch all the fish that say they know where all the holes are who have never told me about them. But with that in mind, we want to talk today about this idea of fishing, but also catching. And, and, and to start, I want to make sure we understand that the context of our text is Peter's lesson, his letter is being sent to uh, believers who have been scattered because of persecution. So we do understand that, that he's talking to them as he talks about not being afraid or fearful of their threats. He's saying, hey, listen, I know that you feel the pressure of being persecuted and also dispersed because of it, but ultimately understand that trust that God is with you and blessed and know that you're blessed when if you happen to do what's right and someone doesn't like that, that you continue to do what's right and endeavor in that because you're blessed when you do it or you suffer for righteousness sake. So we do understand that he's talking to, to a, a crowd that is very tense. And we don't have that pressure today. We're, we're not those who are stressed or strained about being believers as our brothers and sisters are around the world. There are places where our brothers and sisters in Christ are under duress for the gospel's sake, but we are not of that, that population. However, as we look here, Peter goes on, and as he's working his way through this, he then says to them, Always be ready to give a defense or to give a reason for why you believe in Jesus. Now, he's also helping them to understand that because if you're willing to suffer, you're willing to continue to hold to your faith in spite of being persecuted, that, hey, give a reason. Be ready to tell why. But I believe that we see in there, in the text, that he's saying always be ready to tell your story. Because when you talk about fishing, one of the greatest elements of fishing is the storytelling. You know, you talk about catching a fish and it starts out, you got to watch a fisherman when they tell their story because the first time they tell you the fish was this long. The next time they tell you he was about this long. And then the next time, you know, they, they couldn't hardly pick him up. So you got to watch, you got to try. You know, but, the, but the blessing of catching is that there's a desire to share the story of catching with someone else. And as you'll note from the, the title of the message, that the testimony of the catch of Jesus, that ultimately those who at some point heard the gospel message and accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you got caught by Jesus. 
And ultimately, because you are part of the catch of Jesus, then he is charging us with being willing to tell the catch story. Be willing to speak of what you used to be and how Jesus came in and changed you. Be able to talk about what, how you didn't deserve God's grace, but he, he extended it to you anyway. Be willing to tell somebody that, hey, I didn't get it all right when I started out, but thank God I got off the wrong road and I'm on the right road now. Because ultimately, when you think about fishing, because the goal is catching, to tell the story about catching is exciting. I've heard, uh, I was telling this Wednesday night, and I'll share it with you all, uh, because I've got a fishing story with my wife. You know, she, she doesn't really have this fishing thing uh, down packed. She, when she goes, she wants, to, she wants to bring books, and she wants to discuss you know, books that she's reading, and she brings a basket, and she wants to do picnics. And I brought you some grapes. I, I'm not here to eat grapes. I'm here to fish. <laughs> oh, you look hungry. No, I'm not hungry. I'm fine. We just ate grapes. <laughs> so we're out there, and she's not paying attention. And so finally, after sitting there for some time and not catching anything, I said, you know what? This is a bad spot because I know I'm a good fisherman. <laughs> So we decided to pack up. I said, I think there's a spot down there. So we get ready to pack up. And so as, as we're packing up, she's reeling her, her rod in, and she, she says, oh, I think I'm stuck again on a log. I said, well, you know what? I got my hands full. As soon as I can set this stuff down, I'll come back and help you. But just as I say that, there's a couple of ladies walking the trail, and one lady says, hey, she says, I can help her get it loose. My dad took me fishing all the time. I said, well, thank you. So she works with it a little bit. She says, you know what? She's not hung on anything. She actually has a fish. <laughs> now imagine I am frustrated. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm in the hot sun sweating and reeling and trying to catch fish, and this woman is hooked into a fish without even knowing it. <laughs> so so the, as we reel, as she's fighting, she says, oh, she said, well, can you help me? I said, yes. As I'm reeling in, it's a huge catfish. Wow. <laughs> and so we have to get a net and we bring him in. And this thing is, 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 is so big that he's kind of bent in the net. And I didn't know how to, didn't know how to, process this moment because I'm, I'm kind of, I'm happy, but I'm, I'm sad and frustrated. So she want to take pictures and I'm taking her picture and I'm like, yeah, oh man, I should have left you at home because that fish, if you were not here, I would have caught him. But as much as I was frustrated by that moment, because we caught something, I can't help but tell the story. See, that's what we're talking about. No matter how your story unfolds, no matter how you came to know Jesus, it is worth telling. Why? Because you got caught. See, it helps me to know 
that Jesus is in the catching business when I hear about you being caught. So Peter is saying, listen, even though they're under duress, he said, but still be ready to tell your story of why you have this hope in the Lord Jesus. So here's the reality that we have today. As I said before, the born-again believers are the catch of Jesus. If we look at verse 15, he says one thing. He says, for everyone who asks you, and here it is, the reason for your hope, reason for the hope that is in you, that speaks of the person who's placed their confidence and their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, be willing to let somebody know that you know Jesus. The reason for the hope. The hope. Because here's the reality. There, there's power in storytelling. Now, we have to make sure we tell the story right, you know, because unlike fishing stories, you don't want to embellish your story. But you also want to be able to speak of the part of the story that is not so much about you, but that is more about him. It's a, there's a need to put some details in there, but, but in the end, the person still needs to know what the focus of the story is. See, if you talk too much about how many times you did it, Wait a minute, and how good you were doing it. <laughs> and how <laughs> you still feel a little bit of it today. <laughs> it may be hard to see the story. In 2018, I took a sabbatical, a three-month sabbatical. And as I was, we were traveling, we were in Alabama, and I was out by myself fishing. And I hook into what I believe to be the biggest fish that I'm ever going to catch. And guess what? Nobody's there but me. But the place I'm fishing in is not the most ideal place. It's, there, it's like some rocks and there's some, some inlet tubes. And I'm standing on one and I'm thinking, man, I may have just hooked into the largest fish ever. And no one's ever going to know. But as I am reeling, I look down and I see someone. I start yelling for a guy. And he's, he comes down with his net. And it's taking so long to get the fish in, he's ready to go on. And I say, well, I think I almost got him. Please just hang there with me. Now, he helps me to get in. I had to maneuver the rocks. And we had to do several other things to try to make sure we got the fish in. But understand, there's a lot of details about that story that are not necessary for me to add to the story in order for you to understand it's a good story. And that's what we're talking about this in telling our story that we understand that the testimony has to be one that the end result is the focal point. In the Christian context, catch stories or, or catch testimonials is the telling of the power 
of Jesus Christ in our lives? Were you able to speak of how before coming to Jesus that there were things that were not aligned with God's plan, but also things that were kind of out of whack? And that, that how when coming to know Jesus that he has brought all of that together for me. I was contemplating this the other day because I thought about it. Because today in my life, I feel like I don't know what I would do without Jesus. But then I think back, so what was I doing before I met him? Because ultimately, when I began to consider this idea of knowing him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, as I know all of these about him, that somehow I don't know what I would do without him. But I knew I had to live before him. But the power of his power, the power of his love in my life brings me to the place to say, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side. So the first point I want to make today is that catch stories inspire the fishing. As I said, we're all called to fish. Last week we talked about fishing and going fishing with Jesus and that fishing is us going forth and being willing to, to share with others our faith. But I want you to understand today that, that when we share our catch stories, it helps to inspire further fishing. Because each time we hear of someone that, that has come to know Christ and we understand that through their story someone shared the gospel or they heard a sermon or they were watching something that somehow they came to know Jesus, that inspires us to continue to share the good news. In that verse 15, we can see that as well, because here's what, what Peter says, be ready to give a defense. He says, be ready to give a defense, because each time we share this idea of it is truly a blessing to know Jesus, it inspires others to share with someone else. But the beauty of the story is, is that as we hear of different stories and different ways that Jesus poured his love on individuals, it helps an individual to see themselves in that process. The person who says, man, I was a bad husband. The bad husband says, oh, but through Christ you've become a stand-up guy. The person who says, hey, listen, I got off to a rough start. My family, we were way out there. When they hear someone telling their story of how their family also, it inspires them to go and share the good news to someone just like that. But here's the key, because as we talk about storytelling, as you know, there are two types of communication. There is verbal communication and nonverbal. And oftentimes we are very much concerned about the verbal and we forget that there is a nonverbal communication happening as well. And here's where Paul, what Paul says about that, because if we are storytellers or we are the story of God's grace and love, then we are essentially living epistles. 
1 Corinthians, I'd like for you to join me there. 1 Corinthians chapter, I mean, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, we want to just look at verses, chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. We want to look at these two verses because here Paul says something that I believe will help us today because this idea of being living epistles, this is a part of our nonverbal storytelling. He says in verse number two, you are our epistles written in our hearts. And here's why this is important. He says, known and read by all men. The reality that in some cases, you are the only example of God's grace that someone may know. He says, you are read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with, the, with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh that is of the heart. An epistle, by definition, is a message, a written message that is sent a message that is sent, that God saves us and the story of him saving us becomes a message to someone else. And Paul says that we are living epistles. So here's what he's saying. We should be living the message of the gospel. Because we've been forgiven, we forgive. Because we've been loved, we show love. Because we've ex been extended grace, we extend grace. Because we are a living message of the gospel. And I want to share this observation with you because as I'm contemplating this today, this came to mind as I was in the study time that people are less interested in who you say you are than they are in how much of who you actually are. Say I'm a Christian. People hear that. But as Paul says, they're going to be looking to see that. Meaning that I have to be Actively engaging in this pursuit of being more like Christ. And I know we get off on the wrong track. We say, listen, I ain't nobody perfect. Do you realize you don't need a T-shirt or a hat to say that? Because nobody in the room thought you were. Because being a living epistle is not being perfect. It's being Christ-like. It's recognizing what we can understand about what it means to resemble Christ and doing that. And because we are living epistles read by men, then we have to be careful of our epistle or careful of our witness. 
Today, we do a lot of disclaimers. We, we speak a lot. We, we, we want to make sure that people know that we're, we're, we're not perfect. We want to make a lot of disclaimers so that it does not place a responsibility on our witnesses. Here's what, what, what the Bible tells us. That Jesus, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall be one thing, witnesses. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you've been born again, that you would now be my witness. But oftentimes, we're not concerned enough about what witness we are portraying. Think about this for a moment. I love to watch law and order. I love to watch those court programs because I love to see the battle of, uh, of the defense and the prosecution working this through. But one of the things that always happens is they call someone to this, they, they have a witness, and their credibility is questioned. They say, yeah, 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 I was there, I saw the whole thing. He said this, she said that, and he did that. And then the question is, well, why were you there? Then the defense steps, yeah, because he's brokered a deal with the prosecution to, to get, the, oh, oh, okay. The question now becomes, can this witness help the case? The key is the case for Christ is being made every day. We look around, we see the world, we see all that's going on, and we recognize that there is a need for good news. The question is that the bearer of that good news has to be credible enough that once they share the good news, the person listening and the audience there can say, hmm, that's worth considering. Because here's what James says, and I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation. James, in James chapter 1, verse 21 through 25, see, how do we guard our witness? James says it here. He says, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God as planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But here what he says, but don't just listen, don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you are like you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror and you see yourself and you walk away and forget what you look like. He says, when we're not engaging the word and allowing the word to be applicable in our lives, it's just like going into a mirror and you look in and you say, hmm. And you forget that God showed you some stuff that needs to go, but you're going to keep it because you're not focused on that. But the word of God, the reason why we engage the word and not just hear it, but become doers, because it keeps me going back to look at the instructions. So what happened recently, we had something to break down, and I had this instruction manual, and it did not seem to be clear to me. And I was mad at all of the developers who developed it because I thought they didn't think about the guy like me who does not understand it. 
as I'm looking at it, I realized that I had looked at it the night before. I had my plan. As I got out there and I got working, guess what happened? I forgot what the instructions said. So I had to go back and get the instructions. I looked at it. I thought about it. I came back. I started again, and I forgot what it said. So then I realized the only way I'm going to keep this in mind is I got to keep the instructions in front of me. See, the Word of God is not there just for something for me to hear at some point, but I got to keep the instructions nearby so that every time I need to look over and say, oh, that's right, I'm supposed to stop doing that. Reminded. But look at verse 25. But if you look carefully into perfect law that, that sets you free, and if you do what it says, don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. God blesses us for being careful about our witness. Here's another means. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22. The Apostle Paul says it this way. Abstain from all appearances of evil. Sometimes we have to just be careful about what may appear to be. Now you see the lady down here on front, the front row and she's got the big pink hat on. She, she, she's committed to the hat. That, hat. that look good on her. She's not a big hat lady, but you know, to, be, to, to do her part. But so watch this now. You guys see me out riding. You, 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 you mark my car out, right? And you know what vehicle that I drive. And you see me over in, over in uh, I don't know all my cities, so I'm going to just throw one out there. You see me over in Carrollton. Yeah, nobody lives over there. Oh, uh, uh, you see me in Wiley or Saxe. Where, where do you all live? Garland? Just say, say your city. If you see me in your town, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm riding, and you look and you say, oh, that Pastor Martin, sister... Just a toy and not light skin. We're <laughs> not one of the girls. Uh... Now, it may simply be me giving a ride. But I have to know the difference. So what I have to make sure is that I won't abstain from the appearance. Here it is. Especially if it's 8 or 9 o'clock at night. Now, honey, uh, S- Sister Johnson, you got to sit in the back. I'm going to be your chauffeur today. <laughs> ah, because we ain't going to have no scandal, no mess, no suggestion, no consideration, because I have to be mindful of my witness. Don't want you to be up here saying, uh-huh, up there preaching to us, but I saw you. That takes me to my second point. I'm almost done today. The second point is, there has to be a commitment. This is my nod because it is Mother's Day and I know that typically you get a Mother's Day sermon. So this is my nod to mothers on today. There has to be a commitment to catching the next generation. A commitment to catching the next generation because mothers play a great role in helping to share faith with their children. And I want to share something because in that that same 15th verse of the third chapter, 
Peter says, to everyone who asks you. So not just those who are in your, your group or your sphere uh, of community, but also those uh, who, are, who may be in another generation that are still in that sphere. Here's, here's something I want to share with you, because there is an example of this that Paul gives us when he talks to Timothy, because he shares a heritage of faith that was passed on to Timothy by his mother and grandmother. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, here's what Paul says. He says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, talking about Timothy, he says, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is it also in you. He says that, 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 that sharing of faith that started with your grandmother, that your mother had, and she shared it with you, that ultimately there's a heritage of faith that is passed on. It's important for us today to not forget the responsibility and the need we have to keep catching, but even in the next generation. Because any more we're kind of passing that on and say, hey, Maybe they'll figure it out. My parents said to me every Sunday, if you in this house, we go to church. But anymore, we are at church and our children are. We study our, our Bible, have our devotions, but we never see them. But Paul says, the faith that was in you, the faith that's in you, I saw it in your, your, your mother and your grandmother. The impact and the blessing of sharing our faith blesses us all. In, in uh, 2017, I want to share a tweet with you. Kirk Cousins is a quarterback for the, the, the uh, Minnesota Vikings. And Kirk Cousins' grandmother passed. And I want to share with you his tweet. He says, tonight, my grandma Jean went home to be with the Lord. Her passing was sudden, but because of the gospel, we will see her again. She left a spiritual heritage for her children's children, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 2. Her favorite song was in the garden, and she is now living that hymn more than ever before. Here's a grandson tweeting to the nation that my grandmother loved Jesus, and she shared the gospel with my parents, and they shared it with me, and I've come to know him, and because I know the gospel, and she knows the gospel, and she put her faith in the gospel, I have this confidence I'll see her again even though she died suddenly. A heritage of faith, and that leads me to my final point for the day. As we are all catch stories, we are the bait for the fishing. See, God uses different ones. So I brought before you today, I brought several means 
of bait. Because the reality that we see when Peter says, be ready to give that defense. Because as someone hears the good news through your story, then it, it's bait that God can use. Now, I want to make this distinction because here in John chapter 4, verse 39, it says, and many, uh, and many this is, this is, this is the, the Samaritan woman that Jesus meets at the well. And, 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 and here we see the scene unfolding where she runs into town, and here's what she does in verse 39. John chapter 4, verse 39 says, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I've ever done. So starting with the woman at the well, we begin to see that it takes different types of bait for different types of fish. So God saves all kinds that he may use them to go and help reach all kinds. We are God's own special bait because in Ephesians chapter 10, Paul says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for a specific good work. And if Jesus has gone fishing and he's inviting us to come fishing with him, then ultimately he uses the testimony of our coming to him for bait. So here's what we have. I've got several different baits. Now, when, you, when it comes to fishing, if you're not a fisherman, and that's fine, I'm not trying to get you to fish. Just want to give you a quick dis, uh, uh, demonstration. So in fishing, there are multiple kinds of bait techniques. So this is an artificial bait or a lure. This one is actually uh, designed to, be, to look like a frog. I don't know if you guys can see that. If you can't see it, take my word. It looks like a frog. And the goal here is for it to resemble fish that want to eat frogs or have a mouth large enough to eat small frogs. They're able to. This, this draws them in because it, it, it mimics a frog. This is a lure. There's, also, there's so many kinds. You can have artificial worms. You can have uh, things that tick. This is another artificial bait. This one actually makes a little noise. It kind of looks like a frog, but it's got this tail, and then it kind of moves a certain way, but it makes a certain noise in the water. So it's intended to draw not only the visual, but the, for the fish to, to feel the vibrations in the water. Those are artificial baits. Then you also have what live bait. And I tried, I, I, I worked with this. I said, you know, if I brought some, I don't know. I didn't know what to bring. I thought if I brought some worms, it might freak somebody out. <laughs> I thought, you know, if I brought some crickets, I'm sure you'd been messed up with that. So I thought, you know what? I'll just tell you about those live bait. It's bait where you use worms or crickets or something that's alive. And the goal there, you even use small fish and you hook them in such a way that they still move around in the water, resembling a, a fish that has been injured. Then there's also what's called cut bait. Now, just before you get, the, you can see the red, that's not real blood. This is real fish. It's cut chad, but they colorize it to give the resemblance of blood. So the fish thinks that his, this is a piece of fish, so it's cut bait. So you use this for larger fish that are also drawn to maybe blood or the idea of something being injured. Then you have 
chicken liver. Now, if you are a catfish lover, chicken liver is one of the big ones. You, you get out there. There's something about the smell of liver that catfish like, and they come after this. But this is actually something from another animal that then you do use it, and it, it's used to help draw the fish in. And then here's one more. Uh, this is uh, scent-based bait. Now, for those who, I, I don't think there's much carp fishing down here, but, but carps love sweet-smelling things. They're drawn to it. But their mouths are small, so you have these little bits, and it smells like vanilla. This, this particular one is vanilla. Now, you can get a catfish on here, too, because they smell as well. But, but those carps, they root around looking for something small that has a certain smell. Now, why did I point out these different ones, different types? Because God saves all types that he may attract all types. He attracts and saves shy people who don't have a whole lot to say. He attracts and saves those who are outgoing and, and never meets a stranger. He attracts those who are witty and, and have quick wit. We also have those who he attracts that are more slow to movement. But either way, in each case, he is using that to remind someone that I catch this kind too. So each time that the Holy Spirit is looking to catch, he may use any type of bait. He may send any type of person that he wants to use because naturally certain people are drawn to certain other people. Yeah. Ask yourself this question. Why are there so many different churches? Because certain people are attracted to certain leaders certain groups. So God knowing that having all kinds of bait to use, he can attract those who whosoever will, let them come. He's looking to use us to go back and to be fishermen. But the fact that he's called us, we're the bait. Here's how we'll say it. God uses those who are caught up with Jesus in his fishing expedition for men. The intellectual type, the funny type, the person who tends to uh, be more reserved. If you look around the room and consider, you don't know everybody here, but just trust me, there's likely every type of personality in this room. But there's also various different stories of how God has worked in their lives. And God uses that to attract the fish. But I need to make sure we're clear. We are the bait but the gospel is the hook. What you didn't notice from a distance is that each one of these, no matter how you decide, no matter what method or type of bait you decide to use, there's always the hook. Because even though 
all of those people came running out of town to hear who Jesus was because of what the woman at the, at the well said. Later on at verse 41 and 42, here's what it said. In verse 41, it says, and many more believed because of his word. And here's how they responded to it. They were grateful that she was good bait for them. But in verse 42, it said, then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this indeed is Christ, the Savior of the world. See, the gospel has to be a part of whatever you're sharing. Once you get done telling your story, make sure the gospel is there because the gospel is the hook. They're not going to stay. They're not going to come and stay with Jesus because you were there. They're going to come because they come to know him personally as their Lord and as their Savior. And how do we do that? Through the hearing of the gospel message. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.